will be, I think, familiar with the 1972 film, uh, The Poseidon Adventure. Not the remake, the original, The Poseidon Adventure. Uh, the film tells the story of a luxury liner that's on its way across the Atlantic Ocean when all of a sudden it's hit by a rogue wave and the luxury liner overturns. Well, the film follows uh, the main character. Maybe this is why I like it. Uh, It follows the main character, a rebellious preacher. As he sort of leads a sort of small group of uh, survivors and he leads them uh, through all these passageways and he leads them through all of these rooms in an attempt to escape the seas. Now, at one point in the film, the film kind of focuses in on a confrontation between this rebellious preacher and a woman who has a decision to make. You know, she can either stay where she is as all of the seas kind of rush in. She can do that or she can go with the preacher and she can take this bid, this sort of swim for safety. It is very much this woman's last chance. What is she going to do? Well, she stays where she is. She doesn't move. She doesn't go with him. And she ends up going down with the ship. Well, friend, if you are not a Christian this morning, I would ask you to approach this sermon today as though that were the reality for you. As though this in here just now was your last chance for spiritual survival. Why can I say that? Why would I say that? Well, think about what it is that we've been doing here. Like over the last eight months or maybe nine months, what have we been doing? We've been studying the gospel of Mark. Like for this sermon series, what we've really done is posed God the question. What's the sermon series title? Who is the real Jesus? We've posed God this question. And, and, and what has God done for us over the last eight or nine months? He has led us through the rooms and the passageways of this book, hasn't he? And he's shown us the power of Jesus, and he's shown us the love of Jesus, and he's shown us the forgiveness of the Lord Jesus Christ. But you need to understand this. See, today, this morning, ends. Like, that's it. Like, this, this morning, this is the last sermon in this series. And I think you need to understand, if you have not believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, when confronted with all of the evidence that God has provided you over these last eight months, you may never believe this today for you. It may be your last chance. And so today, we turn to this famous portion of Scripture. What is it? Peter's confession of Christ. So I would ask you to please turn there with me. To uh, please uh, turn to uh, Mark chapter 8 and verse 27. Mark eight twenty-seven. Let's consider firstly a mistake we see here about Jesus' identity. There's a mistake about Jesus' identity. What is that mistake? <coughs> Excuse me. Okay, last week if you were here, you remember that we saw Jesus teach the disciples a lesson about spiritual vision. Do you remember this with the blind man? Well, here we see the disciples travel further north with Jesus 
to the region of Caesarea Philippi. Now note in the text that it's not actually to the city itself. Lots of people think that it's to the city they go. It's not though, is it? Do you notice it's to the villages around Caesarea Philippi? Now, do you see what that means? This here, the section is less a sort of preaching crusade. You know, it's not sort of evangelistic mission as such. It's much more a retreat for discipleship with Jesus. And this morning, as you and I enter the scene, what is it that's before us? What do we see here? We've got Jesus, and we've got to understand this. He is traveling along, or he is journeying with the twelve and he's given them instructions and he's teaching them so he's traveling with the twelve here now i think if we're going to get to grips with this portion of scriptures now we've really got to understand where this section sits in the book overall now if we're going to be very very simplistic about it i think you could say that mark's gospel splits into two halves the second half of Mark's gospel, it deals with the suffering of the Lord Jesus Christ. So the second half deals with that journey towards the cross, okay, the suffering of Jesus. But the first half of Mark's gospel, so the section that you and I have been looking at for all of these months, what would you say it deals with? It's not the suffering of Jesus, it's about the identity of Jesus, like who he is. Isn't that, isn't that what, what we've been looking at over the last number of months, the identity of Jesus. Like, think about it like this. You and I, all the way through the series, we've known who Jesus is, haven't we? I mean, what does Mark, how does Mark begin the gospel? He kind of gives the game away, doesn't he? He tells us, this is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So we've come into this. We know who Jesus is. But wait a minute. What about all the people in the book? Like, they haven't known who Jesus is. They don't know who Jesus is. And so do you see what's been happening in these eight chapters? Like all of this kind of tension, all of this suspense has been building up. All these people sort of scratching their heads wondering, well, who is he? As he displays his power, he identifies with sinners, he dismisses religious norms. They're asking, well, who's this man? And what I need you to understand today is that all of this tension and all of that suspense from all of these eight verses building, building up and to this very point right now where Jesus is on the road with the twelve and he looks across at the disciples and he asks them, okay, now's the time. Who do people say that I am? So, how do the disciples Answer. Have a look with me. Look at verse 28. They say some say that you're John the Baptist. Others say that you're Elijah. Still others that you are one of the Old Testament prophets. Okay. Can I ask you a question then? Does that ring a bell for you? Does it? What's the answer? Uh, Some say you're John the Baptist. Others say that you're Elijah. Does it ring a bell? It should ring a bell if you've been here for the sermon series. See, way back in Mark chapter 6, we saw that King Herod was very worried and very anxious about the identity of Jesus. Do you remember, do you remember the story? And at that point in Mark chapter 6, we were given an insight into who the general public thought Jesus was. 
Now, do you remember what that insight was? Do you remember who the general public thought Jesus was in Mark chapter 6? Exactly the same thing. So we were told in Mark chapter 6, the general public thought that Jesus was either John the Baptist or Elijah or one of the prophets. Now, isn't, do you see what that shows us? Isn't that something? I mean, it shows us that despite all that Jesus has done between Mark chapter 6 and Mark chapter 8, despite all of the miracles and the feeding miracles and the preaching, the teaching, the healing, despite all of that stuff, what's changed? Nothing's changed. You know, this very limited view that society has of the identity of Jesus here in the first century, it hasn't shifted. Like, it hasn't moved at all. There's been no uh, altering of their understanding of who Christ is. Not, not a bit of it. So the answer is the same, but what does this answer that, that they think Jesus is John the Baptist or Elijah or the Old Testament prophets, what does that teach us? What does that tell us? Well, when I was younger, when I was a student many, many years ago, um, I stayed in a flat with a fellow student in Edinburgh. A great, great guy, uh, but a man who was utterly obsessed with posters. Uh, I suppose you know what it's like uh, for students. You know, every square inch of the walls have to be plastered in posters. So that's normal. The thing with this guy, though, was the sort of posters that you would put up on the wall was just a bit different, you know. Uh, it wasn't your normal thing. It wasn't like an album cover or something, or a landscape scene. No, this guy wanted to put up pictures of his heroes. So anyone, you know, you can see it. Anyone that he looked up to in the field of sport or music or literature, any one of his heroes was going up on that wall everywhere, you know. I suppose the opposite of a... A rogues gallery or something like that. Now, wait, isn't that though exactly what we've got here? I mean, you think about it. These men, John the Baptist, Elijah, the Old Testament prophets, from a Jewish perspective. Like, who are these people? From a Jewish point of view, these are the great spiritual heroes, man. Aren't they John the Baptist and Elijah? I mean, these are the, the greatest men in, in all of their history. And what is it the general public are doing here? They are bracketing Jesus in with these men. Now, isn't that something? I mean, do you see what it shows us? Like, they obviously understood that Jesus wasn't just an ordinary guy. Like the general public, they thought, okay, there's something special about him. This man, Jesus, he is worthy of our respect. He is worthy of our honor. Here's what I want you to do. Take that into the 21st century today. What do you see? Doesn't it sound familiar to us? Like if I was to ask you to sum up the, 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 the view that the elite in the United Kingdom have of Jesus. Or if I was to ask you the view that some of your friends and your work colleagues have of Jesus, how would you sum that up to me? What would you say? Isn't it true that many people today, they respect Jesus? There's an element of respect, isn't there? I mean, it's, I mean, okay, they might not believe in Jesus. They don't certainly view him as Lord. But isn't there a, an, an atmosphere sometimes of reverence, an atmosphere of, of, of true respect? I mean, you, you know what it's like, don't you? I mean, these people, they are willing to class Jesus alongside maybe Gandhi. 
or class him alongside the Dalai Lama as a sort of, as a spiritual man. Now the question that you and I have got to answer is, well, is that enough? I mean, is that good enough? Is that an adequate opinion to have of Jesus? Well, look at this. What does Jesus do here? Do you see it? He gets this response from the disciples. And is he satisfied with this answer? Is he, this opinion from the general public, is he satisfied? No, he goes on. He asks them again. He presses the disciples for more. This isn't adequate. It isn't enough to respect Jesus. Friends, I desperately desire for you to see the truth in that this morning. Because I wonder, are you falling into this trap of admiration of Jesus? Like if I meet you at the end of this service at the door, and if I ask you what it is that you think about Jesus, how it is that you consider him, what are you going to say to me? Are you going to say, well, yeah, I, I mean, I think Jesus is clearly, you know, he's a spiritual man. Clearly, he was an influential man. And, you know, do you know what? He was a, he's a godly man. That's what I think. Can I tell you this morning, that is not enough. It isn't good enough. And it isn't good enough for God. I mean, you see these men here, Elijah, John the Baptist, and the Old Testament prophets. You see, don't you, that all of their ministries existed to do one thing. And it was to point to one individual. But who's Jesus? Who's Jesus? He is the one that all of those ministries existed to point to. So if you hear anything this morning, hear this. Respecting Jesus is not enough. It is going to get you nowhere. Holding Jesus in high esteem will not suffice. Because Jesus is not a man just to be admired, is he? He is a saviour in whom to believe. That is who Jesus is. That is his true identity. So we see there's a mistake here about Jesus' identity. But I think we have to move on and notice that there is also a declaration about Jesus' identity. A declaration about Jesus' identity. So you you see what's going on in these verses, don't you? Jesus is showing that the public's opinion of who he was is inadequate. But then, who, who's he with? He's with the twelve. So what did the disciples think about Jesus' identity? Who did they think he was? Well, in a recent uh, flight to Spain, got onto the plane, just about to take my seat, and I realized that I had forgotten to take my g onto the plane. And that was a disaster for me, to be honest, because I just I couldn't face the couple of hours of sheer boredom uh, that was going to uh, was, that was facing me. Well, that uh, was the case until I checked my phone and I realized that though I have no recollection of doing so, that I'd actually downloaded a, a detective novel that I'd never read before. And I was delighted because this meant I could spend the next couple of hours trying to work out who done it, you know, to wrestle on this plane with the mystery at hand. Well, come on, if we, if we are saying that that's what it was like for the general public in Mark's gospel with Jesus' identity, wrestling with this mystery, 
then surely that was doubly the case for the twelve disciples. I mean, you see what I mean, don't you? Like ever since Jesus has called them to himself to be fishers of men, what have the twelve disciples been doing? They've been trying to work out who exactly is he? Like, who is this man that has called us? They've been wrestling with his identity. Do you remember it gets to that point in Mark's gospel after the storm that it's almost like in unison, the 12 disciples, they cry out, who is this? I mean, who is this? That even the, the winds and waves obey him, who is this? And you've got to understand as well that until this point in Mark's gospel, do you know what? The disciples really, they don't seem to have had much a clue about who Jesus was. Do you know this, that there is one title so far in Mark's gospel that the disciples have used of Jesus? One title. What's that title? Teacher. That's it. It's the only title they've used of the Lord. And if there has been any sort of insight into who Jesus is, and if there's been any great display of faith, who's it come from? It's come from other people. I mean, it's come from the Syrophoenician woman. It's come from Jairus. But it sure hasn't come from those 12 men. But you see, don't you, that all of that changes here. I mean, you see that this is the moment in Mark's gospel where the penny finally drops. Because now, when faced with this question from Jesus, what is it that happens? Peter, a spokesman for the twelve, he pipes up, he speaks, he declares boldly, Jesus, you are the Christ! You are the Messiah! Now, we accept, don't we, that this is a seminal moment in this book, but what does that mean? You know, when Peter calls Jesus the Christ, what is it that he is saying about our Lord? But when we translate this word Christ from the Aramaic, we see that it means the anointed one. And that is a term with huge implications from an Old Testament point of view. You see, friends, there were three roles in the Old Testament that could be anointed. There was the role of prophet, and the role of priest, and the role of king. And anointing a person, it was a way of setting aside that person for a God-given task. And it was also a way of equipping that person with God-given power. But you know, don't you? You know that there was a greater and more significant meaning to this term in the Old Testament, don't you? You know that the Old Testament spoke of the coming of one great anointed one. One who would come to save his people. And how would he save? By combining all of those roles. And by being in himself who? The great anointed prophet. The anointed priest and the great anointed king. So you see what it is that Peter is declaring? Do you see some of the beauty and glory of it all? Here walking with the twelve along that road. Who was it? The very saviour of sinners was here. The long-promised Messiah had finally arrived. The one 
true, great, eternal, anointed of God, had at last strode onto the stage of human history. He was here. He had arrived. He had come to save his people. Peter could see before him. He see and he understood that this Jesus was the Christ. That this Jesus was the Messiah of God. And friend, I need to say to you again today, if you are not a professing Christian, can I ask you this question? Do you see the purpose of Jesus in asking the twelve about his identity? I mean, he's already asked, what, what do the people think? What do the general public think? Do you see what he's doing in pressing the twelve disciples more? Do you see what he's doing? He is encouraging them to make up their own minds about who he is. I mean, he is encouraging them not just to go along with what society says, not to go along with the prevailing view of the culture. Don't do that. He is encouraging them to conclude for themselves just who he was. And I wonder this morning, do you see what it is that the Lord Almighty is doing today and here? Through his word, the Lord Jesus Christ is doing the same with you. Do you see that and understand that? That today and here, through his word, the Lord Jesus Christ poses you the same question. And he encourages you to make up your own mind. So what is it you're going to say to God today? Like what is it you are saying to the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you really just going to say, okay, I'm going to let this sermon series pass. I'm just going to let it pass and I'm not going to profess faith in you. Is that what you're saying to Jesus? Or will it be different today? Will today be the time, the occasion where you see and acknowledge who Jesus is? Today the time where you see that he truly is the Christ and that you bow the knee to him. What is it going to be? Because let me tell you this, God Almighty right now, the Lord Jesus Christ, he asks, what about you? Who do you say I am? And then a third thing we must note here is the prohibition about Jesus' identity. The prohibition about Jesus' identity. Do you find the declaration about Jesus from Peter, do you find it stunning? You are the Christ. If you find that declaration stunning, then surely you also marvel at what comes immediately afterwards. Because having heard from the disciples this glorious, what is a profession of faith, what is it that Jesus commands the twelve to do? He commands them very strictly not to tell a soul about it. Now we have actually seen this frequently throughout Mark's gospel, haven't we? You know, from the demons who were driven out in chapter 1, right all the way through to the blind man in chapter 8, time and time again, those experiencing the power of Jesus, they've been told, what? To keep all of that to themselves, not to tell anyone, 
just to keep it to themselves. Now, isn't that odd? I mean, isn't that unusual? Many of you have actually asked me about this through the series. Like, why is this happening? And especially here. I mean, when the the disciples finally understand and discover that Jesus is the Christ, especially here, isn't it strange? Surely, isn't the case? Surely the whole world needs to know. Surely Jesus sends them out to tell everyone. Why are they being told to remain silent? Well, I think we need to think about it like this. Certain terms, they mean different things to different people. Isn't that true? Like what one word means to one person, that word might mean something else to someone else. Isn't that right? Let me let me give you an example. Let's use an example deliberately that we have used before. Let's take the word evangelical. If I was to ask you what that word means, what would you say? Many of you would say to me, an evangelical is a Bible-believing Christian. Okay? Other people... Well, they use evangelical really in a different way. They use it as an interchangeable term for a Pentecostal. Oh, he's an evangelical. He's a Pentecostal. Interchange term. Others, they will use it as, they will associate it with the right-wing American politics, won't they? Other evangelicals. You see the point though. Same word, different meanings to different people. And what you and I have to understand is that that was the case for the term Christ in the first century world. That the Jews had a variety of understandings of what that word meant. And the crucial thing that we need to understand is that many of the Jews saw that term Christ as having political connotations. So do you see why it is that Jesus is standing here saying, don't tell anyone. Like what's going to happen if the if the Jews find out that Jesus is the Christ? In this climate where they're desperate for liberty from Rome, what's going to happen? They're going to try and install Jesus as a leader of a rebellion. The leader of some political movement or other. And you see why that cannot happen. Because Jesus has to go ahead and suffer. I mean, he cannot be a, a leader of a political movement. He has to, for you and for me, he has to go to the cross. And so let me end this sermon series by underlining this important fact. By underlining that this ban on speaking of Jesus' identity, that ban was one day Lifted. You see, Jesus would go on for Mark 8. He would go into the second half of the gospel. He would suffer for us. And it would culminate one day in Jerusalem where he would stand before the very high priest himself. Now what, what happens? Can you remember it? Can you picture it? Do you know it? Under trial, the Lord Jesus Christ is asked this question. Who are you? Are you Christ? And how is it that our Lord responds? Well, now that his destiny is secure, now that there is no threat from political uprising, now that the cross is there, it's in view, Jesus declares for 
all to hear, I am. I am the Christ. And you see what that revelation means for you and for me and for this church, don't you? The ban's been lifted. Like the prohibition is no longer in place. What are we now to do? We are now to go out into the world and tell everyone exactly who Jesus is. And friends, I would implore you to involve yourself in that. Not just to go out into the world and and for us to speak in vague terms about church or about faith. No! To speak about Jesus. To tell people who he is. To make his identity the very centerpiece of our evangelistic witness. For who is this man? Come on, let's, let's end the sermon series. We've posed this question. Who is this man? Who is the real Jesus? Well, who is he? Is he just a, is he just a guru for us? I mean, is he just a, a spiritual leader? Is he just a wise man? Who is the real Jesus? Do you see? You know, do you not? He is the Christ. He is the savior of sinners is who he is. He is the son of the living God. May he be praised in here this morning in your hearts. And may it be that he is praised forevermore. Let's pray.